are listening to Rootbound, a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside. Rootbound is brought to you by Monstera Deliciosa, the houseplant loved by Instagram influencers worldwide. everyone, I learned a new word. But before I share that word with you, I should introduce myself. My name is Steve, and I host the podcast, Rootbound, which is a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside. And each week, I invite a guest who joins me on the podcast to share with us all about a plant that means something to them. Then I share with the guest about a plant that means something to me. And through this process, we can all learn more about plants and learn more about each other. Now, that new word I learned is cauliflory. Cauliflory? I'm not quite sure the pronunciation, but it is spelled uh, C-A-U-L-I-F-L-O-R-Y, I think. And uh, I'll just say cauliflory. It kind of sounds like cauliflower, which is interesting. Um, and actually, the etymology comes from the same meaning, but separately. Let me tell you what that means. So cauliflower, like the food we eat, caulis is means stem and flower means flower and it's because it's like these uh really dense little flowers that come directly off the stalk or the stem of the plant so cauliflower cauliflory is not related to cauliflower at all in fact cauliflower does not and cannot exhibit cauliflory it is a separately defined word which is kind of confusing botanists maybe uh should have named the one of these different but anyway cauliflory is a phenomenon where a tree will uh, issue its flowers directly from the trunk of the tree. So the, the, the flowers and fruit come directly off the trunk of the tree, or maybe some older branches, and not from new growth, which is what we see on most trees. And what we're used to seeing is the flowers kind of off at the end of the branches. Um, but in the case of cauliflorous plants, the flowers and fruit grow directly from the trunk of the tree. And kind of the most iconic tree that exhibits cauliflory, cauliflory, is a uh, cacao. I don't know if you've ever seen a picture of cacao, but you can go Google it right now. The cacao pods kind of like hang, they like stick off the, the trunk of the tree and just kind of hang off the side of the branch. And it's kind of a, a you know, strange look to at least to people who don't spend a lot of time in tropical regions because most cauliflorous plants are from tropical regions. And, uh, you know, no one's exactly sure why the these uh, plants uh, exhibit this characteristic, but probably the most um, prominent theory has to do with pollination, because if you have these uh, flowers uh, growing much lower, it's going to make them more easily accessible to pollinators, particularly maybe ones that don't fly very well or ones that only crawl. They can crawl a little bit up the tree. They don't have to go all the way up to the tippy top of the tree. They can just crawl up and pollinate. Um, There's also some speculation that cauliflory has to do with uh, protecting the flowers because they're lower, they're not up at the top, so they're less susceptible to wind damage. And it could also be uh, a way of uh, allocating resources. Uh, if the flowers grow on the older wood, it allows the tree to uh, uh, focus on producing leaves in the areas and uh, you know higher up and simultaneously producing flowers on older branches. So that's the word I learned, 
cauliflory or cauliflory. I don't have been pronouncing it both ways this whole time. But interestingly, um, even though I said that most plants that are cauliflorous uh, are in tropical regions, the tree we're going to talk about on today's podcast also exhibits that. Now, we're not going to talk about that during the show because I, I learned this after um, when I was researching the plant after we recorded. But it is a very interesting aspect of this plant we're going to talk about later, and uh, it is one of the few cauliflorous trees that lives in temperate regions. So that's pretty cool. And with that, let's go on and meet our guest and meet the tree. Cauliflory. 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 Hi, Aaron. Welcome to Rootbound. Hi, Stephen. Uh, so uh, just to set the stage for the audience here, you might hear some tinkling of a glass because we both have uh, beverages and some maybe some ambient sounds because we are outside today. It's a nice spring day. Um, you might hear some whirs of maybe cars in the background right now, some birds, some wind, some crunching because we're also walking uh, towards some of the plants I think we're going to talk about today. So on that note, Aaron, do you have a plant to share with us today? We do. Um, it is the Eastern Red Bud. Wonderful. I, I, I know what this tree looks like. I know very little else about it. So uh, let's start off with uh, why did you choose the redbud? Why is it meaningful to you? Well, it's meaningful to me because I was um, fortunate enough in my life to have three grandmothers. Oh. So my dad married a woman uh, after my mother. Um, 50... Three, 50 years, 51 years ago. So she's been around for a while. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> and her name's Janice. And so Janice, I met her when I was five. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's been my lion cub mama for a long time. She's been my surrogate mom and real mom and every other kind of mom you can have. So I've been lucky enough to have two moms too. And Janice is one of them. So Janice has two sisters. Uh, Joanne and uh, Judy. And uh, the reason we have standing here at Huntley uh, in Virginia, looking at my three redbud, redbud, uh, eastern redbud trees, is because uh, I've named them Janice, Judy, and Joanne. Why would I name my trees after my mother and her sisters, you ask? It's because my surrogate grandmother again i was lucky enough to have three grandmothers passed away recently Mm. and her favorite tree was the eastern redbud so we have um emblematic representation of the three daughters here on the property named for uh genevieve kaczynski also known Mm -hmm. as gene wonderful and it it is a really actually maybe you can describe what we're looking here we're maybe about i don't know 40 50 feet away and how, how do they look at the moment? So they're in full bloom. Oh, well, they're a bird of prey just flew by. Do you see that? Yeah. Ooh. That's a falcon. Some or kind of falcon or, or, or yeah, maybe a, yeah. a sharp-shinned hawk or something <laughs> like that. That was cool. Another episode, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, the... Save it for the animal <laughs> podcast. <laughs> we are. We're, we're probably 45 yards standing. We're, on, we're at my house. Uh, we're on 25 acres at about 1,200 feet above sea level. And um, we're lucky enough to have um, a wooded and... A uh, much very bucolic environment here in Rappahannock County, Virginia. And uh, these trees are in full bloom in spring as they often come on hard in April. And last year we did a hard prune on them and I think they're looking great. 
and it may it may be obvious by their name, but the buds are pretty red. It may be more pink, but I think red is also fair to say. So that's funny because there's a couple of variants in species, and they produce different colors. And my neighbor right down the road from us has actually several red bud. He has at least ten or t- ten or twelve trees, and they are of different colors. It's funny, but the, it's not like. Incredibly different. They're like different shades in that, that's in that correct. red that's spectrum. Fair. Yeah. Yes. That's yeah. Because right. when I first saw these, I you know, when we were driving up here, this is key bloom time for uh, for the red buds, and most of them were like a slightly lighter pink than this. Like maybe the more like uh, naturalized along the roadsides are that variety, but these have a little bit more of like a magenta hue. They do. And either way, whatever they are, they are t- they do tend to be pretty serious eye catchers. Yeah. And they are. Yeah, they're brilliant. They'll give way to green leaves come on pretty soon. And one of the things that's interesting is that uh, this tree is has lots and lots and lots of uses. It's, um, oh, really? It does. It's, it's medicinal. You can eat the flowers. Mm. They're edible. Oh, wow. And taste, apparently, much like pea shoots. Interesting. Have and you I tried will, that? I will tell you that this will be the first year I will try that. Shall we go do that at the end of this episode? <laughs> we can. Okay, good. Sounds we'll good. test the theory. I'm going to the trust you that they're edible. <laughs> they are. No, okay. no, they are. Okay, good. And in fact, the um, often known as a spice tree because mm. it is used in various um, culinary, uh, yeah, uh, cooking stuff. It's a spice tree, and there are some other. Um, uh, culinary uses, but but the flowers are edible. The there's a lot on the tree that's edible. The buds, flowers, and fruit, which of course are the seeds, mm-hmm. um, can be eaten raw. Uh, people would pickle them or cook them, and the flowers and buds contain an anthocyanin. 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 I just learned that uh, the other day. That word, anthocyanin. Yes. And other ex- antioxidants, and apparently lots of vitamins and whatnot. Mm. So. Omega fatty acids and other things. Apparently, they taste a little similar to peas, but we'll find that out. Indeed, here in a indeed, indeed. And in parts of the Appalachia, Southern Appalachia, particularly, uh, it's known as spicewood tree for this reason because you can use it in culinary application. Interesting. Wow. So I, I'm always so fascinated by the plants that are all around us that have these like particularly. I'm really into edible things, as as you can tell because i just harvested some sassafras from around, uh, on your property yeah um but you know this this tree that's so in this area you just at this time of year it's just everywhere but it's also edible and i always like i always find it interesting that we how how we ignore things that are edible um even though they're so abundant in fact we tend to ignore more the things that are the most abundant which is i think a strange thing about humans it, it is funny and, and it goes back to I remember years ago when you guys were in Pittsburgh and we would talk about the garden and what should it be. And it's always, for me, I want a high, I'm a high utilitarian type guy and I want things that I can eat everywhere. Yeah. Um, so a productive and fruitful garden, of course, flowers are necessary and we want to draw the, and the sure. pollinators are certainly drawn to the red bud. Sure. Um, notedly, notedly. But uh, it's sure, it sure is great that you can go eat it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I definitely don't want to eat them all. you got to leave some to turn to fruit and, and you know, yeah. turn to the next trees. That's very interesting. There are apparently some negatives. Oh, <laughs> <red> negatives? <laughs> okay. I don't know. I mean, it's hard to see what they might be. Yeah. <laughs> you can eat them. They're beautiful. 
And they're native, which is one of the big problems, you know. They are. Uh, we, we, we've talked a lot on the podcast recently because I think of the time of year about the, the Bradford pear, which has very beautiful flowers. I mean, I think the red bud is more beautiful because of their bright color. But, you know, the white flowers, the Bradford pear are beautiful, but it's a tree that's not native. It's super invasive, probably outcompetes the red bud. Exactly. And so I think, you know, a night Problematic. Good. Yes. Problematic. Indeed. This right. tree, I don't... Uh, yeah, I'm very curious. So, to, yeah. so, so let's criticize the beauty of the of the red bud sure. and, and say that the problem with this tree is that unfortunately it's relatively short lived. Hmm. So that's hmm. a, that's a negative. Mm-hmm. That's a con. It doesn't go for years and years and years. It'll ultimately uh, give you know give way to leaf drop in roughly 30-ish mm. years. And it's never a really big tree, is it? I've never, no. I don't think I've ever seen a big red bud. They're more like a small tree, borderline shrub to tree, I guess. Right? That's true. Yeah. There are some species that get a little bit larger. Mine, mine are actually fairly small at the moment. Yeah. And the other thing is, is unfortunately, they're really not planted at the proper distance from each other. They say 12 feet, and it might be 12 feet. We have a triad of three trees mm. in a cluster, and roughly... Maybe they're 12 feet apart, so maybe it's okay. But it, you want, I would preferably, I would like to see them just a little bit further and th- apart. And those were here when you bought the property, yeah, right? Yeah, they were. Yeah. yeah. They're actually, I mean, actually... I don't want to admit that because <laughs> I named them after my... That's <laughs> uh, okay. I named it, but uh, that's it. In- an interesting thing about the red buds here is that they really kind of are the only red buds around, right? I, yeah. I, uh, which, which is interesting. They kind of like stand out amongst the landscape, even though you do drive a few miles away and you see them dotted all over. They're kind of their own little focal point of kind of the whole property really this well, time of year anyway well certainly the entry yeah so we have lots of ornamental trees on the property luckily i mean we're, we're blessed we're lucky to have that but we have these guys right here at the gate so to speak as you get to the top we have long the driveway's a little bit long and we have beautiful cherry trees at the base of the driveway to welcome you and then as you come up the driveway you're greeted by the three joanne josie and judy uh waiting for you in full vigor here at the top of the driveway as you come into the front of the house. So, but uh, yeah, you're right. Um, ornamental trees, these guys do stand out. It's important where you place them because they, they're, if they have a tall background, um, particularly evergreen, then that just makes that bright, vibrant pink color just come out much yeah, more. Absolutely. So it's a big contrast. But anyway, should I tell yeah, you more cons? Yeah, uh, oh, you have more cons. Okay, I, there's yeah. more cons. Oh, wow. Okay. See, I'm trying to beat it up, man. Yeah. All I'm right. Trying to all beat right. It up. Yeah, so sadly, sadly, uh, these trees require a lot of water. So they okay. are thirsty guys, um, and they also are perhaps a little susceptible to certain pests, depending on where you are. The region that these guys grow happily in really is pretty broad. So. You may see different pests depending on where you are in the country, but that, yeah, that's interesting. I think I guess I guess if you're thinking about this as a landscape tree, somewhere else that might be an issue. I feel like water is not a problem in this part. No, 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 yeah, we're right. fine. Right? I mean, they can. We have enough water that they're not gonna. They're doing great. Yeah, and then the pest thing is always interesting too, because you know. I've talked to a lot of plant people now with this podcast, and people have these different kind of like ways they come at things. And when you come at things from more horticultural landscaping idea, you're looking for one thing. If you're looking at it from more like the foraging thing, you're looking at another thing. If you're looking more like the native trees, native plants thing. And pests, if you're looking for something for a landscape, often pests can be a problem, even if it's a native tree, because we have invasive pests as well and things that happen like that. So Correct. it's interesting where if you're trying to pick something for a landscape, people tend to pick these things that are really, really hardy. Um, but 
but yeah, I, 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 yeah, I'm, I'm more of a fan of, of, of sticking with the, the native trees like these beautiful red buds. So the other thing is, is that these guys, even though it's, this is a little bit of a contradictory contradiction, is that they, they are great in terms of holding up against wind, and we get some wind up here at this elevation on our property. We get some wind from time to time, even though there's plenty of wind breaks, but we still get pretty good wind. But they're, they're tough when it comes to holding up against the wind, but yet they're also brittle in a way. They're beautiful in the sense that they're, they are tough to hold up against the, the blowing wind, but they're also described as somewhat brittle. And this has to do apparently with the cellular structure of the bark. Mm. So there's some aspect to it that with regard to the quote unquote woody tissues uh, that make up the, the plant, that it, it, it is a little bit brittle, but it does have this reputation for holding up against pretty tough ice storms, ice, cold, wind, snow. They seem to hold up. But yet they're also described yeah. as brittle. So I for, well, that? I forget that there's a there's some physics words here that I'm blanking on. But the idea of something can be very strong, right. but also uh, brittle, and something can can not break, but when it breaks, it breaks completely. Or you can have something that's not as strong but can be more pliable. And in different situations, one is better than the other. Like you know, a diamond is really really hard, but you can also pulverize a diamond if you give it enough force. You know, a diamond won't ever squish. Right. Right. You know exactly. what I mean? Exactly. So it sounds like they're a little bit more on the diamond side of the the strength scale than something more bendy. Interesting. But the the, the on the pro side, say I want the sulfur first, right. and I get the yeah. molasses. Yeah. On the mal, on the the pro side, they're they're super ornamental, obviously, and they are terrific as anchor points in love out here. We there's plenty of this. We live in agricultural area, as you know, mm-hmm. and. Um, so there's tons and tons of agriculture. We put it this way, um, for the benefit of the listeners, we have in our county we don't have a stoplight. <laughs> okay. We don't have a billboard. We don't have any of that. So we have farms, lots of farms. So they're wonderful as anchor points in gardens mm-hmm. and provide, you know, a little bit of shade to break light, you know, for you know certain crops that you're growing in the garden or whatever the case is. So very nice. Fantastic as anchors, yeah. Um, do you have any other fun facts or dazzling details about the red bud? Well, at this point, I don't think I can say any more than I have. All right. Um, that's so okay. That's about the best I can do. Last, we're not being a botanist. That's okay. Last <laughs> question then. Sure. Which one is which? Starting on the left. Yeah. Starting on the left, that is going to be Judy. Judy. And that's maybe the smaller one? Maybe? Well, she's the youngest. Okay, good. And then the middle? The middle is Janice. Uh-huh. And that is the one that's kind of on the head of the triangle, if you will. Yep, and then the far on the on the right on the on the right side is uh, Joanne. Very good. Yeah, named all for Jean Kaczynski um, and her uh, untimely passing uh, recently. Red bud tree, shelter me, shelter me. Red bud tree, shelter me, shelter me. Well, thank you for sharing about the Eastern Redbud with me. Do you mind if I share a plant with you? I would love to hear a plant with me. All right. So I, uh, I, when I'm trying to choose plants, I have to talk about a plant every week. It's a challenge. The audience hears me say this, something like this almost every week. And how do I choose it? Sometimes it's obvious. Sometimes it's the time of year. This time I'm like, you chose Redbud. Let's just choose blueberry, and that way the episode has this nice red-blue thing I love it. that, yeah, yeah. because my blueberry bush is in bloom right is now. Is it? Uh, can we go look at that? We can. walk over there. Let's Absolutely. gather your things, and we'll, I'll tell you about Absolutely. blueberry while we're walking over there. I have to do that. Hold on a second. Let me, I have to get all my junk together. Which way are we going to go? We're going to go oh, that way. 
All right, so blueberry. Blueberries are really cool. The reason why they are meaningful to me is a few reasons. Maybe I'll start with that, and then I'll get into a few fun facts and dazzling details. Um, so blueberries. One reason they're meaningful to me is I have two bushes in my front yard. Um, I've been kind of struggling to grow them for the past several years. Uh, last year I got about four blueberries uh, from one of them. Oh, the, no. the other one did not um, did not really give anything. This year, though, the one that I got the three blueberries from seems like it died. Oh, and then no. the other one looks like it's going to be good this year. So anyway, it's been my struggle to grow my own blueberries. Oh, no. Um, the second reason blueberries are meaningful to me is I, I found myself once in Alaska. Uh, I was um, lucky enough to get flown in to kind of the middle of the tundra where there's like the only way to get there is to fly in. And when we got there, we're in the, you know, the tundra is a really fascinating landscape. No trees. Right. The ground is very squishy, mm -hmm. um, very porous. And the ground is covered with these little tiny shrubs that are no more than six inches high. But at the time of year we were there, which was in August, just covered in blueberries. Mm. And it was so delicious to just go and just grab handfuls and handfuls of blueberries. But I had never seen a blueberry like that before. And the blueberry that we're looking at now, which is in full bloom, looking amazing, um, <laughs> It doesn't look anything like this blueberry. Funny. So I was confused, and, and that's that's maybe some of my fun facts and dazzling details that I'm right. going to get into. Right. It was a blueberry, but blueberries apparently are a massive genus. So the genus blueberry is Vaxinum, genus Vaxinum. And there's a bunch of different ones. I don't know the names of them. There's a ton. It is a circumpolar genus. Hmm. So you find things in the genus all in the northern hemisphere, kind of more northern. And then in general, blueberry vaccinum is separated into two kinds, the high bush blueberry and the low bush blueberry. The one in your yard and the most cultivated one are high bush varieties. Mm. And the one I discovered or, you know, ate in Alaska was a low bush variety. Huh. Um, I didn't know, cool. I've, I heard high bush and low bush before. I didn't really know, I mean, I knew that it meant small and big. Right? Okay, yeah, sure. But in general, low bush is also synonymous with wild. And high bush is no, more often synonymous with um, with cultivated. Even though there are, um, of course, there are wild high bush. But when you hear low bush blueberry, you're also meaning wild blueberry. So when you think about the wild blueberries in Maine, which is a big thing, those are all low bush. And it's very similar. Look, you go to the fields and there's just these very small bushes. Wow. Um, they don't look like this They're tree. low bush. They're low bush. Yeah, yeah. This is a high bush blueberry. But they're prolific in Maine. So prolific that, that it's one of the few... Yeah. I've, wild I've, harvested industries yeah. left in the United States, actually. Yeah, I think they have them in Vermont too. Yeah, yeah, all up in the uh, Canada is the biggest producer of those, yeah. but we've got a few states that produce those quite yeah. a bit. Um, and uh, and they're they're you know they're uh, a little bit more delicate than these. They're a little smaller than these. I, in general, yeah. the um, the low bush ones that are used, you either get them fresh nearby or they're frozen because yeah. they don't travel as well, perhaps. Yeah. Um, but they're they're really interesting. So that was my first fun fact in dazzling detail. I didn't know the difference between high bush and low bush, but yes, they're kind of just how the plant is. One is kind of a a bush. The more we think about it, and one is more kind of this tiny. I think shrub. I've only seen the high bush because I'm yeah. you know I'm from up north, so I think I that's what they seem to have. Yeah, there. So. And it's much more common. So the one thing I also learned is that so Vaxinum genus is everywhere. So there's lots of blueberries in Europe. There's blueberries in Asia. Of course. Um, 
But the species of Vaxinum in North America are the ones that became the cultivated varieties. Uh, so these ones we have in our gardens like this and the yeah. ones that are in my house, which are not quite as tall as yours, but the same, probably a similar species, sure. yeah. um, were cultivated, you know, in the early American times. Like, apparently it was actually not even until like early 1900s that it really became a big industry to like farm them. Um, but so that's why I think most of us, if we've seen a blueberry, we've seen something like this. Because you got to really get somewhere where there's a wild thing to see the low bush variety. Yeah. They're harder to cultivate it too, apparently. Got it. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, where was I? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, when I was when I was uh, reading about that too, I was um, curious about, you know, the European blueberry. Because I know that blueberry is a thing in Europe, but then I heard all the cultivated ones are from the Americas. But there is, you know... Blue, oh, there's a nice. That's that's a nice bee. It's a solitary bee. He's looking at the. He very was happy to be those in blueberries. Those blueberry, but lovely flowers. Yeah, they really look great right now. Yeah, um, they are. So, in Europe, there is blueberries, but I guess in 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 English they're more technically called bilberries. Interesting. And but in many European languages they're called blueberry in that language, mm -hmm. but they are slightly different. They're genus Vaxinum, but they actually apparently look. They're smaller. They the flowers look a bit different. The flowers mm. are smaller, and then the blueberries that we know, like in the supermarket, when you look at them on the top, they kind of have that little five leaf pattern from yeah. where the sepal sits on yes. it. Yes. The bilberries don't because they connect kind of at one point. Uh, so yeah, that's right. one apparently difference. But but they are. Oh, there's a bumblebee. Everyone's loving the, Everyone's the, on the blueberries yeah. today. Um, so European blueberries, when you hear about like blueberries being spoken about, like you know, in like French recipes or things like that. More likely, they're talking about a bilberry, but they're all they're all blueberries. The like the the various words for the plant mean blueberry in the right. various languages. Right. But there's needed some way to differentiate the different versions from them. So that's pretty interesting as well. Um, one other little fact is that uh, huckleberries, mm. cranberries, also in genus Vaxinum, mm -hmm. but not really blueberries at all. No, but and they are in the same genus. Weird. That's interesting because they grow really differently. Yeah. The, the, the cranberries grow more like the low bush right, blueberries. Right. Makes sense. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah, the only problem I have with my lovely blueberry plant, by the way, this guy is really prolific and will put out tons and tons and tons of blueberries. And um, your your mom is going to make lo lovely blueberry ice cream. I have no Ooh. doubt from this. And um, since we're standing here, yeah. uh, by the way, we're in the sort of what I would call kind of the back garden. And um, there's a beautiful plum tree right here that we just lost our, our flower on. We, th this guy was bright white flowers oh, wow. all around going crazy. And next to it, we've got the apple trees that are in flower right oh, now. Oh, cool. So we gave, we, the plum tree gave way to the apples and the apples are in bloom. The plum trees turned green now, but the apple trees are now in flower along with the blueberry. So the only problem I have with this guy is I don't have like four more of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what I, I wish. I, I mean, yeah, this is great, great. Yeah, yeah I get, he's really prolific. I get like one of these little clusters. Yeah, I know, right? And it's yeah, like this really guy. small. 
this guy will put out tons and tons, just tons. And yeah, we come out and pick them off the ground because they're they're so good and we love them. You don't have a problem with the birds stealing them off? Well, you know what? They get theirs. Yeah, we get ours. Good. And we're happy to share. We don't mind. I wonder about, I, this is something I wish I'd research, but I think propagating these might not be too hard because they send up I've, these sh- these suckers I've like looked this. looked at it. Yeah. yeah so you, well, all you have to do literally is take the sucker, as you pointed out. There's a couple suckers growing off the bottom of the, of the stump of this guy. And if you take them um, and you peel the end, um, almost similar to peeling an asparagus, mm-hmm. and you stick it in dirt with some water, mm. and it'll propagate. Maybe I should try that it to will. save the one, take the one that's still living and repropagate mm-hmm. out to the one in that fact, died. In fact, you can do you can do that. You can propagate blueberry, literally taking these suckers, take five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, stick them in a in in pots, and they'll come on. That's fun. I, I, I've heard you can do that with, I have uh, elderberries in my yard, and I've heard you can do that yeah. with elderberries too. When? But I, I should try that with a blueberry. That's really good. Yeah. Okay. I I, uh, I, I kind of burned through my blueberry facts here pretty quick, uh, but I have one last one, which is kind of like um, a little bit of the strange blueberry fact. Uh, it takes us to um, medieval Denmark. Oh, my yes. favorite place. And then it takes us all the way forward to uh, the phone in your pocket. Do you know what I'm going to talk about? <laughs> I'm thinking you're going to talk about Babette's Feast. No, <laughs> that's wrong. That's yeah. another Denmark thing. Yeah. But anyway, go ahead. So um, all, all of us are carrying around phones in our pockets these days, other devices, and they ha- one of the many wireless technologies they have is a technology called Bluetooth. Well, we know that. And Bluetooth has a connection to the blueberry. No way. Yeah. Now, it's a little bit perhaps apocryphal, <laughs> but... The reason why Bluetooth was named Bluetooth is a Intel engineer who was working on the technology was at the same time reading a book about Norse history. Hmm. And in Norse history, there is a Danish king whose name was Harold Bluetooth. The only Danish king I'm unfamiliar with. <laughs> yeah, Harold the Bluetooth. The only one. I know yeah. all the rest of them. <laughs> and he, I'm not yeah. with one. And uh, the reason why he wanted to name this technology is because uh, Harold Bluetooth was known for uh, joining kingdoms together and this idea of the device, the technology that, that brings Joints. these devices right. together. Um, but Harold Bluetooth, one of the reasons why they say he was called it, it's a, no one's really sure. The documentation's not super clear. The first time it was written was over 100 years after his death, so it's like underclear. But one of the reasons is apparently the dude really loved blueberries and was eating them all the time. And by the way, yeah. who how can you not? Yeah, if you're a king and you're like, <laughs> so okay, so you're like, bring me the blueberries. Can I tell you a sidebar yeah, story, sure, really, sure. really yeah, fast? Yeah, yeah. So one of my favorite books from my kid because mm. I want to get this book for your kid. Yeah, I yeah. want to get this book for the for the kid. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's called, uh, and I'm going to flub it, but it's 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 old. It's um, Cambridge Press, 1971, I think, and roughly 70, 71, and it's called the Fabulous plums of king oscar the bad mm. it's something like that yeah yes yeah, so yeah and so the idea is that a kid who lives in this is in merry old back in the medieval mm-hmm. time and his mother makes him uh orange marmalade mm-hmm. and he loves it's beautiful marmalade beautiful yeah. but it's he gets it all the time yeah so he's uh. mm-hmm. so he but he really wants the beautiful plum over this plum tree that's on the wall in the it's the king's plum tree and he's not allowed to touch it from penalty of death i have sure. no doubt okay yeah mm-hmm. so he scales the wall in a secret mission mm-hmm. to steal the plums mm-hmm. to taste them because he wants to taste and he gets caught mm-hmm. and he gets caught by none other than king oscar the bad mm-hmm. and king oscar the bad is furious and he's worried so the boy is worried that he's the king is going to say off with his head mm-hmm. and instead in 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 
in a uh, trade for his life, he pulls this orange marmalade that his mm. mother made him and gives it to the king and says, please spare me, have my marmalade. And the king loves the marmalade so much. Why? Because he's sick of the plum marmalade mm. that he keeps having to get. Mm. So it's a magic, magical thing, and they're all friends, and it's wonderful. Maybe maybe Harold Bluetooth <laughs> was looking for marmalade, and that's why he brought those those uh, countries together. He was on a search for marmalade. See, yeah, yeah. the children's book comes yeah. global geopolitics. There anyway, so so who knew that the thing that that is in your pocket is connected to a Danish king and ultimately connected to the blueberry uh the European blueberry, probably technically a bilberry, but uh, yes. Uh, Fantastic. Harold Bluetooth, uh, Danish king. Uh, yeah, and yeah, if I was a king and I could just tell my subjects to bring me blueberries. I think that's a good plan. Yeah, I'm there, there are, the wild blueberries are a little bit tricky to harvest, so if you well, got people to do it for you and you can just like stuff your face with them, because well, I mean, why not? Uh, well, I think that, you know, if, if you get the enterpriser out there that understands how to go get them the right way, then that's great. Last, yeah. last little thing is too, is the Bluetooth symbol that we all can yes, imagine. yeah is based off an old Danish rune for the symbols H and B for Harold Bluetooth. That is an amazing fun fact. His lips were blue from eating Blueberries And mine were two from eating Sweeter than the blueberry. My head was reeling. Ooh, what a feeling. Never felt like this before. And we're back uh, with Aaron here, and we are walking now up right. to the three redwood trees, and we're actually going to taste some. I did quickly Google. Not to, that I didn't trust you, but I did confirm before I eat anything that they are edible. <laughs> okay. So let's uh, let's see how they taste. That's called to... corroboration in, in my business. Indeed, it's it's a <laughs> it's an important thing to do with any uh, any wild food. That's right. To make sure. Be um, safe. Man, they look so good. Look at look they're at, amazing. Wow, they are such amazing. A beautiful color. Yeah. Fantastic. They're, they're like just in your face. Right, I'm gonna just pick one here. See if we can. Oh, there's a oh, little yeah. bee joining us. Oh, Does it taste yeah. like a pea? Uh-uh. It's just like pea. Yeah. It's sweet. Mm. Nice. Mm. Amazing. Very fresh. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Sweet. Tastes like a pea shoot. That's how it was described to me. I've never tasted one until today. Mm. And uh, it's wonderful. And you can pull them off and cook with them. Put yeah. them in salads. Yeah, salad would be good. I wonder, uh, I've been very interested in one making mead, which I've talked about a lot on the podcast. Of course. Just like sticking them in the mead. Yeah. Or um, making a syrup might be interesting with them. Right. Or dry hopping them in mm. beer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Put I wonder, them in I wonder how they are dried. Them. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, throw them in, throw them in, just dry hop meaning you're not putting them in, putting them into the production of the beer. You're letting it, put in, putting them into the fermentation process without doing anything to it. Mm-hmm. Right. Lovely. Interesting. You know what's interesting? They they have like a a seed pod apparently, which also is edible. Interesting. I'm seeing that here. A dried one from last year. Qualities to it as well. And they say that the wood is good for furniture making because it's it's very it has very good, hard good characteristics. Right. Hmm. Well, that's fun. Big enough. Just uh, thought we'll uh, uh, close out the podcast here. Just 
eating some flowers and uh janice we love you we're having some flowers that's all so yeah just thought it would be a fun way to close <laughs> the podcast out by uh, eating a few flowers and uh thank you for listening to this episode of rootbound My guest on this episode of Rootbound was Aaron Pease. Aaron is an attorney, gardener, and brewer of beer in Huntley, Virginia. If you like Rootbound and you want to help support the show, visit rootboundpodcast.com slash support to find all the ways you can help the show, including just leaving a rating or review on your podcatcher of choice. You could probably just scroll down and do that right now. I would be so appreciative. Rootbound is hosted by Steve Bluetooth Ellington. Music by Christian Kriegeskota. Fake ads by David Lonnie. Rootbound is a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside, but if you can go outside, seek out a redbud tree and munch on some flowers. It's not a hashtag houseplant if it's not a hashtag monstera. Monstera, it's deliciosa.